You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest this evening is Marco Chiavetta. Good evening, Marco. How are you, man? Good evening, yes, yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, excited to be on on the podcast and kind of share a little bit of my journey and hopefully help someone out there and uh, and inspire them to to hopefully get to to where I am and past. Awesome, uh, Marco. You know, obviously, currently you're sitting at um, Bristol City, women's first team assistant manager. Um, but you know, the journey had to start somewhere. So I want to kind of take you right back to that. When did you first come into contact with the coaching journey? So my coaching must have started kind of when I was around uh, 17, 18 years old, where uh, I was getting involved with a, with a friend at university. So I'm from Loughborough originally, and he was the women's head coach. And I was friends with him as a player. And we just kind of naturally felt that I, I turned up to a couple of training sessions. And yeah, my coaching journey started by watching him and, and collecting his cones, really. And, and then being able to kind of spiral on from that. And yeah, he sparked my, my love for, for coaching, definitely. What was it about coaching that kind of caught your passion, if you like, you know, because I think for many of us, you know, we fall into the coaching industry. Um, certainly, if we haven't had a professional career in the game, um, we fall into coaching because we maybe were keen fans of the game or we were players and just decided and accepted that we were never going to quite make it. Um, you know, there's so many different reasons as to why people fall into coaching. What was it for you then? What, what really caught you? Yeah, I think um, kind of you hit the nail on the head there with with my story in particular, where I got to kind of 18, 19 years old and, and realised, you know, for, for for all my efforts of playing and, it, you know, even though I played at a, a very good level, it was kind of like there, there was no longevity in a career for me where, you know, I, I was never going to be comfortable. I was always kind of going to be chasing. So I got given an opportunity at, at Loughborough University to, to work with Tom Curtis um, and, it, for me, just the the idea of, of being out there and still having a, a real good relationship with football and teaching people and kind of having that opportunity to to coach was inevitably something that I had to I had to do and I kind of fell into it in the sense of 
you know, I used to go along with my friend to, to watch him coach a little bit and just give him a helping hand. And then it was almost kind of like, I don't see why I can't do this really. You know, I really enjoy teaching and being out here and, you know, creating a good environment for people. And yeah, it was, it was something that I fell into to start with and then grabbed the ball by the horns and kind of went, yeah, you know, I, I want to do this. And Tom gave me the opportunity, which I still remember kind of being sat around the table where he was like, you know, look, do you want to do this team? Like, we need a coach. Do you want to do it? And and I was kind of like, I actually don't think I can. Like, I don't think I'm able to do it. And it was like, well, you know what? What's the worst that could happen? So grabbed the opportunity and, and, and went with it and really enjoyed it. Brilliant. You know, and obviously, you know, Tom, Tom is a great guy. And he's been one of my guests on the show as well as a, you know, a tutor of mine in the past. Um, I'm you know, curious, and obviously now 17, 18, you start your journey now without giving too much away. How, you know, how, how long ago was that? <laughs> no, so I'm, I'm 33 now, so I've just kind of tipped over the, the 30 age. I'm still on the count up. But um, yeah, so obviously you're looking at, you know, 16 years ago sort of thing. So it's, right. it's strange, to, strange to hear that. No, but you know but, what? Like, you know, first of all, you don't look it. <laughs> um, you know 16 years is a long time albeit um, for such a coach from such a young age um, in relative comparison but what I'd say is obviously you know there's been a lot of changes in the coach, coach in coaching the way it has developed certainly from back then to where it is now you know you're going back to 2004 you know I didn't start coaching until I was you know until 2010 and I've yeah. seen massive changes in the pathway since yeah, yeah, yeah. then so you know I'm curious to kind of know you know you got involved in coaching at that point. Was it at that same time that you started doing your qualifications or did they come later down the line? Yeah. So, um, I mean, when I started coaching, it was the wild west. Like no. you, you kind of, you got out there and whatever you wanted to do, you kind of tried to do it. And, and I was really, really lucky. Like you said there, you spoke to Tom yourself and I was so lucky to have him as a mentor to, to help guide me. And obviously um, John Duncan was involved at Loughborough as well, who used to be Tom's manager. So I had a really good education of, of coaching and what, what it was about. And Tom used to really stretch me. Now, you know, the differences and kind of when I started my qualifications, I'm, I'm trying to think now, if I'd got involved when I was 18, 19, I must have kind of done my level two around the same time. I, I did my B licence, um, before I moved to America. So I did my B license when I was about 23, so 22, 23. So I'd coached for a good few years before I'd even kind of started on that qualification journey. Um, but I'd actually done the B license. I went away to America and then I came back and had to redo my B license because obviously you only get a certain amount of time to actually take the assessment. So again, I was, it's just right time, right place sort of thing. Cause I got back and they just changed the B license to the new model. Um, which it's still changed since then. Uh, so yeah, I, I got back at um, 22, 23. So I must've got back about 24 um, and then did my B license then. And straight off the back of that, I, I got lucky to get in strengths before I started working with the Rovers first team when I was with the academy. Um, Tom got me onto my A license as well because he was the academy manager at Bristol Rovers. So he, he helped me get onto my A license. And now I've, uh, last year I completed my advanced youth award as well. So yeah, I started on my um, qualification journey kind of early 20s and I finished it last year. Well, not finished it, but I, my last one I achieved was last year. No, no, you know, and congratulations and all that. You know, the, the, the qualification is not always easy to get, and especially if you're going through, um, if you're like the older pathway to what it is now. A lot's mm. changed in terms of the coach education system in that respect. Um, 
But I guess, you know, you've you probably had a similar journey to me in that respect, in the sense that you've, you've probably had a bit of a blend of both yeah. the old style, the new style, and, and, you know, better yet known as, the more, you know, the the ongoing assessment yeah. as, as opposed to the final assessment piece. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What's your experience with, with that? You know, what are your thoughts on the coach education pathway to where it, where it is now and maybe where it's come from? Um, <clears> so it's, um, it's a really interesting question, actually. I really like that. That's, um, so my personal opinion on, on kind of the, the coach education pathway, so my B licence was kind of the old one where you finish, your, you do your assessment, and I failed. So I failed my, my B licence. And um, Garant Tuzi, who obviously is a FAYCD, um, so FA Youth Coach Developer for Academies, he kind of came in and assessed me for my B licence and kind of helped me a little bit. I much prefer the, the, the competency framework. So kind of making sure that you get seen and, and it's, you know, when you're ready, you're ready sort of thing. I think a lot of coaches nowadays find that really, really difficult to, to buy into because I, I think there's a lot of certificate collectors. So there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, I just want to get my level two. I just want to get my B license, get my A license. And then all these doors start opening up and this, that and the other. And it's, you know, it's just not the case. I was, I was so lucky again on my A license with the people that I were on it. And because I had an opportunity to go through this coach competency framework as opposed to a final assessment, Tuzi was someone who was constantly in our club. And the amount that I learned from having those visits and constantly going through that process and him getting me to understand and, and realise it's not about just getting the certificate. It's about actually being a B or an A licensed coach. It's not just having a certificate to put your name to because I'm sure you'll know it's very, very easy to have one bad year and people go, you're a bad coach, you know, or, you know, coach a couple of people the wrong way or work with a coach the wrong way. And if you're not ready, you're not ready. And, and I think it's important to, to trust the people that are, that are trying to assess you or the people that are trying to get through, get you through those qualifications. And again, I, I, had a, I was really fortunate with my education around it, with Tom, with Garrett, with uh, Alan Walsh. And I had such a diverse group of people to, to think about and bounce around. And there's a coach in my head that I can think about that I worked closely with. And you could not get more old school. Like, you know, it, it was almost to the point where, you know, I, I'll just run you if you do things wrong. And it's kind of like, we're so far past that. But then at the same time, in, in the same building, I had that. And then I had the modern way and, and the development side of, of the way the FA do things now. And I like the new methods. I think it's much, much better. You know, my B licence, when I failed it, I had a conversation with the, the tutors and the person who failed it. And they literally said kind of like, you've been, you've been more than capable for nine months or, or eight months, but you've, you've had a bad day. And, and I can't pass you because your session didn't do what it was meant to do. And I was kind of like, that's, you know, that's mad to say that you're going to, you're going to say I'm, I've been good for over half a year. And then on one day kind of say, nah, that's, that's not what we need. You, know, you make a great point there. And I think, you know, one of the things I've always said to people as well, you know, they, 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 I think there's, there's benefits to both. Uh, I think the old yeah. pathway, um, and I'm sure you probably agree, is very much tutor-led. Um, it's much more focused on the, the information the tutors can offload to you. Yes, there is a syllabus and a content a course structure, if you like, but they're going to sh you know, share their own experiences and build on those yeah. into the course. Um, right. Now, 
if you're like, I'd say, maybe there was much more focus on the technical tactical elements. Um, whereas now there seems to be much more of a focus on the holistic approach, which I think is, which I think is good. 100%. I also feel like in, in the process of that happening, they've almost maybe moved too far away from the technical tactical elements of the game. Um, certainly when you get to B license and A license, I think where, where it is probably more, you know, really important. Um, I think you've got a guest that wants to get in on the show there as well. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool, man. Um, but no, I think, um, you know, so the pathway's changed massively in that respect. What, what would you say to that? Because I think, you, you know, the other, obviously the other side of it is, as you said, you might have those nine months, you go through that course, you've been showing exemplar um, sessions, you know, you know your, your, the, the, court, the work you've done in your portfolio has been outstanding or whatnot. You get to that final day and really it's a luck of a draw because they, you, you might get a topic that you're not too confident with mm. for whatever reason. Um, does that mean you're a bad coach? Of course not. But, the, you know, it's recognising that everyone does have strengths and areas of development, which is obviously what the new pathway and the, the, the framework of the competency framework does allow yeah. um, to take place. But the only, my only reservation is with this pathway, if you, if you like, is that it is a technical game. It is a technical sport. Yeah. Um, I feel it leaves enough, it, it leaves a little bit too much room for coaches to be able to coach and work in a way where they can neglect the technical aspects and get away with it. Uh, yeah. So with you saying that, I 100% agree with, with what you're saying. And you know what? I think a perfect example would be kind of one of my final days on my A licence. Um, I got, you know, the coach came, the developer came out and, and assessed me and I was doing, uh, defending, <clears throat> defending crosses, uh, defending crosses in the box and, I had a methodology and I had something that I wanted to, to coach and I coached it and he was very much like, I'm really not sure about the way you're doing this. And, and basically I, I wanted a really high line and I was kind of like, attack the cross, don't necessarily worry about the player, just attack the cross. And he was very much like, I, I completely don't understand why you're doing what you're doing because in the position that you're in, if a good ball goes in and that player moves and attacks it, and gets a shot off because you're not marking that player necessarily, you're, you're really susceptible to goals. And I had a really long conversation with him in the end. And not that I brought him around to my way of thinking, but there was a, a middle ground way. It was kind of like, I had to accept and I really, really understood, you know what, tactically and technically, tactically, I've got that wrong. Like I, I have asked them to be far too high uh, and I understand what you're saying. But he was very much like, actually, I quite like the idea of you defending the cross and not defending the, the attacker. But there has to be a compromise there where, okay, I got it wrong tactically because I need them to drop off so that they can defend the cross while still being aware of where players are. But he was quite happy to go, okay, I'll, I'll buy into what you're saying that you don't want to mark the player, which is cool. That's fine. But, you know, if you're not going to do that, you have to do this. Now, I think without him being as good as he is at his job, we don't have that technical tactical conversation and you're definitely yeah and you're definitely right that there are people that are kind of going through the qualifications without the the technical tactical understanding and yeah we, if you can't kick a ball if you don't know general fundamentals of the game tactically you you're kind of going to either we're going to end up with a generation of people that or a generation of players that struggle on 
professional standard on um, professional level or even European level if you go that high. But then in the same breath, there's there's always that new way of doing something. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from. And I do agree to an extent in that, you know, I think one of the massive benefits of the current pathway in the way it is that it's certainly going to breed a, a larger variety of coaches mm. in terms of styles and, and, and ways of working. Um, but maybe even possibly more specialist coaches in the different age groups. So you might have a, 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 a you know, a coach yeah. who's now a specialist working with Five to five to nines or nines to elevens or whatever age group that might be, and I think that is probably one of the benefits of having that framework. Um, but you know, you you touched on something very important there. If your tutor isn't as good at his job or her job or whoever whoever it may yeah. be, then it's a little, it's a bit of a lock of the draw. Yeah, hundred percent. And I do I, I listen. I I do agree with you. Like, there's there's a there's been a shift away from the technical tactical side of of being able to deliver that information. Mm. Um, I, I I don't personally understand, or I couldn't kind of explain why all of a sudden that there's this there's this particular shift of moving away. I believe in, in the social corner and the psychological corner. Definitely, you know, the psychological corner. I was again very very fortunate where I, I lived with a guy called Dave Bookwell who he works for Wolves in China now and he, he's kind of his background was psychology I was very very much a person and, and this was when I moved to Bristol so again I was mid-20s I was very very much where like oh like, you just got to be mentally strong you know you just got to be mentally strong deal with everything that comes your way and blah 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 and he kind of really opened my eyes to creating the right environments and allowing people to kind of express themselves and stuff like that but you still need the fundamentals, the fundamental fundamentals of technical tactical football to then develop everything else around it. So it's the same for a coach. hundred percent. You know, again, another guy I know. I actually did my A license with Dave a few years back. Oh, nice. Um, great guy, man. But you know, I kind of just want to take you back to your obviously your journey. You still you started at Loughborough. I had the opportunity. You know, um, where did it go from Loughborough? Because I know obviously you touched on the fact that you went. You know, you eventually ended up at Bristol Rovers Academy. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Where did you go from there? So um, straight, so as soon as I graduated from Loughborough, I moved to America um, and I worked in Arizona and I, I worked for a club out there as a director of development um, and kind of helped run the club. And that was fantastic. So I stayed out there for a couple of years and did that, moved back home. Um, <laughs> and then again, as whether you make your own look or not, Tom Curtis was at uh, Bristol Rovers and they had a job as a development centre lead and I moved to Bristol. Uh, Tom took me to Bristol to be the development centre manager which was a link between uh, academy and grassroots football. So we kind of provided extra sessions for those players that we thought needed a bit more from grassroots to get them into academies. And in the same breath, the players that were coming out of our academy would come to our development centre before kind of dropping straight out into grassroots. Um, unfortunately, when the club got relegated into the conference, um, they disbanded that part of the programme. Uh, but I was, again, lucky enough to just have my, my skills moved and I became the head of education for the Bristol Rovers Community Trust and set up their futsal program. So I was the head of education of, of and, and set up the futsal program that was part of the EFL. And then from there, I, sorry, whilst I was doing that, I was the under 12s coach with the academy. So I got to work with the academy. So I did the head of education stuff in the day. I did the academy stuff in the evening um, and then the games on weekends then I was fortunate enough to kind of wangle my way into the first team where I was, I had a really good relationship with Daryl, uh, Daryl Clark. 
and for a good few years I used to go up and you know watch training or help out or do anything that I could and again it was just a a gaining of education and networking with with some great people with Marcus Stewart and Daryl and Stuart Naylor and, and people like that and then once um an opportunity came up with the first team Daryl offered me a chance to go full-time with the the Bristol Rovers first team Whilst I was in that role, I had an opportunity to kind of coach players on an individual basis. And so I used to work with, you know, kind of like Tom Lockyer, um, Rory Gaffney. I worked with Lee Brown, um, worked with uh, kind of Tommy Nichols and, and doing little bits and pieces after training. So Daryl would give me the the license to kind of, if, if they wanted to do extras, I'd do extras with them. You know, Joe Partington, Lee Brown and, and Daniel Ledbetter were fantastic for it and Tom Lockyer were fantastic for it, but always wanting to kind of do a little bit extra. So I was, I got an opportunity to do some individual work with those guys. From there, um, I had a, so we got promoted, obviously, into League Two. We got promoted into League One. We had our highest finish in League One. That was a really good year in invaluable some of the stuff that I learned there and Marcus Stewart really really helped me a lot I had I had a massive education from Daryl as a manager and kind of what he did and the way he did it and why or how he was so successful um and Marcus again we talk about kind of that tech tax side of it Marcus was phenomenal at having technical tactical conversations with me and sometimes he'd ask me to design a session on x y and z or he'd probe me about a session that I've done and really give me such feedback about technical tactical stuff that it's like you know you you can't not listen to it sort of thing he was he had some great information from his time playing in the Premier League and things like that and I loved it I loved every minute of it same with Stuart Naylor kind of he gave me an understanding of goalkeepers that I absolutely never knew that 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 it really was kind of you know when they say goalkeepers are a different breed they, they really really are and Stuart kind of introduced me to that and you know, I formed a, a good relationship with Adam Smith and Sam Slocum and some of the guys that were the goalkeepers that were there. I used to help warm them up before games and stuff. So it was a nice bit and being on the bench for for a first team and listening to, to Marcus or you know Daryl asking me questions and things like that. It was it was brilliant. And then from there I moved to Forest Green Rovers. So I was the youth development phase lead for Forest Green. And literally within a matter of months, th- this opportunity came up with Bristol City. Uh, so I parted ways with Forest Green and, and moved to Bristol City as assistant manager and youth technical director. And I've, this is my third, fourth season now. So I've been with, with Bristol City ladies. Awesome. You've basically given us the best part of what, maybe six, seven, eight years, maybe in, in yeah. about eight minutes. In um, no, you've done a good job there, man. Cheers for that, Marco. You know, you've really made my job a lot easier here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just kind of kind of take you to that role then. You know, you've ended up at this role now. What does that look like on a day-to-day? Um, and... More specifically, what does it look like in terms of player development and beyond that, maybe coach development? Is it, have you got any duties where you're supporting other coaches and helping them develop? And, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, so, um, you know what? It's, it's, it's for me personally, for where I was in my journey, for when I took the job, it was absolutely fantastic because when I came out of Forest Green, I was very much in a frame of mind where I was like, I want to be an academy manager. Like I want to be a head of coaching or I want to be an academy manager. Um, and my role here really allows me to try and do the best of both worlds. So for example, where as a youth technical director, looking after kind of the under under 10s all the way up to our under 23s, it's, I love it. I love that side of it. I wish I could give a, a lot more attention to, to that side of it and kind of throw more into it. 
Uh, but with me doing a lot of the first team stuff as well, it becomes difficult to, to try and make sure that I give the best possible stuff that I can give to, to both parts of the job. Um, the coach development stuff, um, um, I absolutely love it. And I really, really enjoy kind of talking to coaches and having those conversations and, and trying as much as I can to help those younger coaches or people who are at the start of their journey or halfway through their journey to, to develop and this year was personally meant to be a really, really big year for coach development. And I had, you know, four or five CPDs lined up and loads of great ideas. And obviously the video end sessions for, for coaches as well as players and things like that. Um, COVID hit and COVID hit hard and we kind of weren't able to do any of it, which was unfortunate. And hopefully, you know, whether it gets instilled, if I'm here, if I'm not here, if I want it to be a legacy, I want it to be something that no matter who takes over, this is something that happens all the time. Um, and, you know, the start of the year we did, I sent all the coaches a coach competency framework that I designed and asked them all to, to fill that out so we could gain an understanding of where they thought they were as coaches themselves. And then hopefully give some feedback on that and, and help those guys develop um, as much as the players. Because we are a club that don't have all the money that Man City have or that Chelsea have or that Arsenal have. So we have to really make sure that our youth is developing and we need as many kind of youth products within our first team as possible or at least the option of having our youth products in the first team as possible. But players come and go. You know, I want to try and not have the coaches come and go. And it's taken kind of two years to really build this coaching base that I wanted. And we've now got you know, a real, real good base of coaches that I think are fantastic. I've just literally lost one. Um, he's moving to Spain and he's, you know, good luck to, to him. He's our under-16s coach and he's moving to Spain to further, further his life out there and fair play. And it's such a massive loss because we're in a situation where each coach has been almost like handpicked to be in that age group because we like what they do. And, and I believe that they're the best for that age group. And they, they will get the most out of our players in that age group. Uh, so to lose one, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's always a, a tough ask to try and fill those those boots again. But you, make, you make some great points there. And I kind of want to touch on a couple of those things that you yeah, mentioned definitely. there. The first of all, it's that, that piece around obviously putting a group of staff in place. But back to the development piece, you talked about implementing a co your own coach competency framework. Um, and having them, I guess, you know, fill that document out, whatever that may be. Within that process, are there specific questions that you're wanting to have answered? Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, the, the number one question is, what do you think of yourself? Like, where, what do you rate yourself? And, you know, yeah, listen, if, if anybody kind of wants to get in touch with yourself or anyone after this, I'm, I'm more than happy to give anyone and do what they want with it sort of thing. And, it's a, all it is is kind of rating yourself from a level one coach to a, a pro license coach and then a list of competencies down the side that you know what's your rapport building like what's your analysis like what's your technical knowledge like what's your technical knowledge like and there's I think there's about 27 competencies down the side so it's quite kind of like in detail in regards to how many we're asking for and um I want to say there's probably seven you know seven technical seven tactical seven psych and seven social kind of competencies that I ask you to rate yourself on and it's just a case of like saying where do you think you fit and that is the number one question that I think has to be answered no matter 
when you help, uh, sorry, who you're helping, whether it's a player or a coach or anything, if they don't have self-actualization of where they actually are, or if you don't have an understanding of where that coach thinks they are, it's very, very difficult to help that person. And I was on a, I was on a technical director's meeting this morning um, with the, the FA and a couple of other technical directors. And it actually brought something out in myself where when I was 24 years old, coming back from America, I literally thought I'd cracked it. You know, I, I didn't have, I didn't even have my B license. I didn't have my A license. And I was like, even though I don't have those qualifications, what can you actually teach me? You know, and I thought at 24, I was like, I genuinely don't understand why there isn't a League One championship club asking me to come and manage their team. You know, I don't understand why there's not the, you know, the best universities asking me to coach their teams because I've cracked it. I had absolutely zero self-actualization of where I was as a coach. And I look at those coach competencies that I've put together. And if I was to fill that out at 24, I would have A-licensed myself at every single point. Now, for somebody to help me, for example, for Tom to help me, Tom was very, very good at kind of going, you're actually not very good at these things. You know, not saying it that way, but he was very good at making me understand that I, I was, I'm not very good at X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So, just, just on that then, you know, yeah. I, I, it's, it's always been a topic of, of interest for me. Tom, as an, I'm just using Tom as an example because you yeah, just yeah. mentioned there, but if someone as in a mentoring capacity or someone in any capacity really was to be able to say, you're not market, you're not actually really good at that. Yeah. All right, we can soften the blow if you like. Yeah. But honesty is the best policy, no? 100%. So you've hit the nail on the head and that was something that got mentioned this morning <clears throat> as well. And a person, in my opinion... A person with zero self-actualization and with zero open-mindedness to learn cannot learn. It's as simple as that. They're never going to get any better. If they don't understand kind of even a little bit of where they are, but then they definitely don't have any kind of open-mindedness to listen to someone or have that honest feedback or, or criticism or whatever you want to call it. It's very, very, very difficult to learn. And I think you almost, as a coach developer, you almost become a facilitator. So when I first came into the role at Bristol, you know, there were, I, I was engaging with people that 100% either thought they were better than what they were or just didn't have an open mind. Now, some of that came a little bit from um, a lack of rapport building for myself. And within kind of the first couple of months, I built a bit of rapport. I managed to get a bit of give and pull. But ultimately, we got to the end of the season and we're 12 months down the line and they still didn't really want to learn anything or they didn't want to change or they didn't want to be open-minded to listen to the things. And it's kind of like we're in an elite environment and either you become open-minded or it's kind of the wrong place for you to be. And if everybody else can take this open and honest criticism, then you're going to have to kind of jump on board with it. And it's, it's a really difficult conversation. And I try and pride myself on being upfront with feedback that I need to give or anything like that. And I'll always be constructive with it. And I think that's the, the art in it. As a coach developer, I'm not, I'm not fantastic as a coach developer. I'd like to think I'm a people person. So getting somebody on board to then talk to them and then kind of deliver some um, helpful criticism. Hmm. I think that kind of, that's where it comes. You have one unheard message. 
Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. But yeah, you honesty 100% is, is key. And we had, again, this week, we've I've had a conversation with somebody who, you know, we've had a, a parent email about a certain thing. And the, the person who's emailing back has kind of said to me, oh, I want to say X, Y, and Z, say it nice. We, you know, we're not in this environment to be nice to people. We're in this environment to be honest to people. Now, you don't have to batter someone. You don't have to make someone feel like rubbish or, you know, be a snob or rude about it. But don't have your mindset where, oh, I need to be nice to them. Because when you start being nice, you lose the essence of the message you're trying to give. And it doesn't become honest anymore. So mm -hmm. I was like, it's not authentic. Yeah, there you go. Authentic. That was the word that that's, a, that's the word we needed there. But, it, it, you know, if you can be honest and authentic about the message that you're trying to deliver, it comes across as honest and authentic. Whereas if you're trying to be nice, it comes across patronizing, I think, sometimes. Yeah, and no, I totally understand that. I mean, I, I just why I asked that question is because, um, yeah, so, uh, as I mentioned off air, you know, some of the things I've been doing over the last couple of years, I've been working in the coach education space. And, yeah, um, you know, we've got this whole element of it being a coach competency framework. But I guess as coach developers and coach educators, I feel like we still look at it, but you still need to be, you still need to be a coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all the other stuff, you know, all the pretty stuff on the side is, is great, but you still need to be able to coach the players and we need to be able to see that there's a genuine improvement being made in the players um, and, and their performances, if you like. Yeah. Um, not saying they have to win games because it's, it's not all about winning, but we definitely need to see they're developing. 100%. Um, and it's that's part of development as well. You know, sorry to cut you off there. No, like, no, no, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, just, just a couple of things that you've touched on, obviously you've, I guess, had to be honest with yourself and say, you know, maybe I'm not the right person for this sort of role. Um, so I might have to bring someone else in to kind of deal yeah. with that. I might be able to, you know, you might be able to spot what needs, what needs doing. Yeah. Maybe facilitating that development and pro that development process might not be your skill set, And I think that in itself is, is a positive that you've been able to identify mm. that and not to say that you can't develop it, but you're just maybe not in the right capacity yet yeah. or have the right skill set yet to kind of work on that. Um, that's the first one. And it takes me back to my journey as a, as a coach educator myself. And I remember, I think back a couple of years ago, and I remember my first ever uh, course um, that I delivered. And on that course, we had three blocks. It was a level two course, three mm -hmm. blocks. And uh, for one reason or another, I was the only coach educator that was consistently through that course. So I had one, tu one tutor working with me on block one, I had another one on block two and a couple others on block three. Yeah. 
Um, so I was kind of the mainstay and it was my first course of what the plan was. I was meant to be almost, if you like, shadowing. Um, but I ended up, you know, leading the course, if you like. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because my, my thing was this, is my job is not, I'm not there to help you enjoy the course. It's not what my job is. My job is to help you walk away from this experience still like, you know what, I've actually developed. Yeah. And not just feeling like it, but actually having developed. Yeah. Uh, and at times that might be difficult for you. I might put you through challenge. I might throw questions at you that you've got, you've never been asked before. Um, even if I feel like you're doing okay, I might still push you and prod you further. Because, um, you know, the way the courses are, it's almost like, well, if you're good enough, you're good enough, we'll sign you off. Well, actually, I don't want to be known as the shooter who just signed them off because they were good enough. Yeah. I want to be known as the guys, actually, when you've left this course and you go on to your next one, they're thinking, blimey, where did you come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. Um, and then eventually there's a pattern of people saying, oh, right, who, who signed you off? Who signed you off? Who signed you off? Oh, you know, I've all come from Yes's course, haven't you? yeah. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of impact I want to have, if you, if you like. Um, so it was interesting. So I remember that in situ process, every single one of the uh, candidates I had on that course, um, including a couple others, because I had to pick some others up because obviously the tutors were changing. All of them came back after the first visit. And I remember it's on block. I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. And they were just sitting there. We're having a chat about the experience of the in situ visits and things like that. And they were saying, uh, there was another one that I was about to pick up. hadn't had a visit yet. He came across to me and said, "Yes, I feel a bit apprehensive." So, what are you apprehensive about? Uh, you're a coach, aren't you? You should, be, you should be fine. He goes, "No, but I'm apprehensive about you coming out to watch me because um, everyone I've spoken to said that you came out and you slated them." I said, "Oh, interesting." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, that's that's interesting. Really interesting." Right now, did I slate them? That's, that's, that's subjective, but was I honest with them? Yeah. Then that I think that's a different question. And beyond that, the next question I'd then challenge you to kind of ask yourself, if you haven't already asked them, is how many of them felt a week after that conversation with me or after that slating, if you like, that they hadn't developed? Yeah. Because, you know, coaching is an egotistical thing. We want to feel like we know what we're doing. You said it there, you're 24, you think, right, I'm at A-license, everything. I ain't even got the A-license, but I'm still A-license, everything. Um. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, we don't want to see our flaws. That's, you know, it's just a human thing, I guess. But yeah. what happens is obviously over time, we need to accept the still things that we need to, we need to get better at. And, you know, the old saying goes, it's never, it's never a good thing to be the smartest one in the room. Yeah. So if you've got people around you that aren't going to ch challenge you, stretch you and, um, you know, question you in different ways, not because you're doing something wrong, but just become curious about your practice then how are you going to develop? Yeah. Because if, they, if, 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 you, if, if you're not, I guess, if you're not blessed to have a naturally growth mindset, which as humans, you know, can be difficult to maintain yeah. all the time because if we're in emotions, we're seeing good results or something's happening, it's very easy to say, yeah, it wasn't my fault. They didn't perform well. Yeah. Well, you know, it was your fault because if, if, you know, not all the time, but you're, you're essentially, the, you know, the one who's facilitating the environment that they're performing in. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it was quite interesting you know, to kind of have that. So I'm, I mean, I'm curious to know maybe in your role now, even though you've identified that maybe you might not be the best one for it, what, if, what, what has your role taught you about leading others? I think, you know, my, my biggest thing um, that I've learned from this particular role, because I think a lot of my roles have always been to a certain extent leading somebody or something, you know, when development centre manager, we had 
four centers, you know, there was 16, 20 coaches. I, I was in the academy, like I was head of education. So we're leading other people, other coaches to do that sort of stuff. Um, this role has taught me that time is of the essence with developing people or communicating with people in the sense that if there's ever a time where I want to help someone develop within our environment, I have to be very, very quick with the information that I'm giving to that person, which means I end up being very direct, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, you know, unfortunately people have good days, bad days. I'm, I'm the same. And I've, I've been through periods where, you know, if you look at our first team players, mm. sometimes they can't talk to me because I'm just not very good with my delivery of a piece of information. But I'll hold you there for a second, Mark. I'll yeah. take you back a second. That piece there, is there any things that you see, you know, you, you said that you, you sometimes time's off in essence, you've got to be quite direct. Yeah. Um, if you were to reflect now, have there been any moments where I guess in the moment you felt, right, I've got to be direct, but actually in hindsight, had you done a little bit more preparation elsewhere, you probably wouldn't have had to deal with it in that way. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, 100%, you know, definitely. I think, especially kind of before COVID hit, um, I, even though I've been in the situation before where my, you know, the first team wasn't necessarily doing very well, I didn't deal very well with our first team being bottom of the table and kind of having this relegation battle. So I neglected some of my role or some of my time that I should have spent with the RTCs, so our, our ladies' academy and those coaches. So when I, whenever I was talking to those coaches, it was kind of like, look, you've got me. This is the time you've got me for. So utilise me as much as possible because you know, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure when I'm next coming down. Now, if I just, you know, when you talk about kind of prepped, if I just time managed a little bit better and actually stood for a second and gone, how can I help this coach as opposed to this coach coming to me and going, oh, I think X, Y, and Z, what do you think? You know, it's like, I'm just answering questions that you're asking me. Now, are you asking the right questions? Who knows? Because I didn't take the time to actually watch that session or I didn't take the time to actually watch you as a coach to go, you're actually asking the wrong question because you're asking me A, but in reality, we want to talk about B, you know, and, and I'm supposed to be that, that external viewer that kind of can look at it and, and say, all right, in my coaching experience or in my experiences, this is what I think you need to develop on. Whereas I didn't do that. So yeah, 100%, especially last season where um, mentally I didn't deal with as being at the bottom of the table very well as a first team and trying to kind of deal with all this uncertainty within my first team role that I neglected proper preparation with the RTC and with developing those coaches. Mm, no, 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 I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from. I think it is, you know, again, it's just to throw, just to throw something at it. Cause you know, quite often we can be quite harsh on ourselves and never really reflect back on those moments where, do you know, actually I could have done that differently. Yeah. Um, I'm I think lockdown, to... lockdown was massive for me. Um, I think it has been for everyone, you know, we've all been able to take a chance. Well, hopefully we've all taken the chance to reflect a lot yeah. more. Um, certainly have had the time to do so although I say that and I find myself being busier than ever um, so you know, guys, I could, you know just kind of on, on that leadership piece um, you know you mentioned obviously uh, Tom Curtis before yeah um, 
I'm just conscious you know, if you've had any other major influences in your journey, possibly in the form of a mentor, or if there's any been particular uh, experiences you've had where you've really learned some big lessons from. Yeah, I think, you know, one, one of the things I think I've been always been quite good at is whether I've been stubborn headed or not. Um, I've always been able to kind of learn from situations or learn from different environments pretty quickly. Now, Tom Curtis, without a shadow of a doubt, is one of the most impactful people within my coaching journey. Um, he's given me some of the biggest opportunities I've had and he's helped me whenever he could. Daryl, as the first team manager at, at Rovers, was you know instrumental in how I work now as a relationship builder and as a rapport builder. Marcus Stewart was, was huge for me in regards to that tactical, tactical and technical knowledge and professionalism. And, you know, he, he told me a little bit about the stuff that he's witnessed with Paul Tisdale and stuff like that. Um, you know, Mark Cooper at Forest Green, he's, his attention to detail and analysis was something that I'd never seen before. And, you know, I've taken little nuggets from that. And I, I think, you know, that aspect of what he did was, was fantastic. Back to Rovers, kind of like, Alan Walsh, who was the under-18s coach at the time, Dave Bookwell, like every everyone who I've kind of like interacted with, I think has has taught me something, and I think it's it's really really important. The big ones for me um, were definitely kind of Tom, Marcus, um, and Daryl were, were were the really big ones um, that kind of stand out in my mind all the time. And then, like I said, you, you know, people like Dave, Dave taught me lots of within the psychology of the game uh, and, and things like that. So it's it's definitely one of those things. I mean, Tara Koleski and Carla Thompson were, were two ladies that I worked with when I, was, when I was in Arizona. Tara was the director of coaching. And, you know, I made um, I made some mistakes when I was in America as, as a young person trying to, you know, forge my way in, in coaching and as a leader and Tara was very, very good at literally, there was no sugar cone. There was nothing. It was like, you've, you've been a jerk there. You shouldn't have done that. You know, and it, now I look back on it or when I got back to England, I look back on it and kind of gone. Yeah. Like I, I know exactly what you're talking about now. And the same with Carla, you know, I had a love hate relationship with Carla Thompson and she was, she was fantastic for what she did. And for the life of me, I wish I'd given her the kind of the, the time of day, to learn from her a lot more than what I learned. Um, but in hindsight and looking back, it's they they taught me lessons and I think I've learned from from all of my my situations that I've gone through. So you know, obviously you have been, you know, probably through various different situations, both good and bad at times. So I'm just kind of conscious, you know, within that, what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you in your coaching journey? And that, you know, is it something that you've been able to deal with? If so, how? Or is there one that you're still currently dealing with that you feel like, you know what, I'm in the midst of it right now? Um, and do you have a plan to get out of it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So initially, if, you, if we look at kind of like my first real challenge was working within a first team environment at a men's football league club where literally there was zero respect for me as, as a coach or as a staff member or anything like that. I was just some guy, you know, some kid that was brought up because still I was only kind of like 26, I think, 26, 27. Yeah, around that age when I was working with that first team. And 
some of the boys were older than me. Some of the boys were kind of in and around my age. Some were a little bit younger. And I've not got 500 league games under my belt to go, well, I've done this, this and this. So as a challenge, that was probably my biggest challenge um, from just a standpoint, coaching point of view. Uh, I, I overcame that through just sticking around long enough and having a bit of crack with the with the players and, and gaining a bit of rapport and respect that way. And then I got 10 minutes with one of them and then that player would go, actually, it ain't that bad. And then I'd get a little bit more and a little bit more. And, you know, it, that was kind of how I overcame that one. Um, one that I still battle with now um, and with, with what we're doing and how we're doing it. So again, we're towards the bottom of the table. We're struggling. Well, we, we, we're not typically doing as well as we thought we might do and trying to mentally stay switched on to give those players what they need it is always kind of tough. And again, you've got the same with any, any squad, I suppose you've got 20, 25 players and not all of them are, are, are on highs. You know, you're dealing with the players who are not playing, for example, and mentally I'm, I'm still struggling with not mentally exhausting myself, trying to, deal with this group of players and then trying to deal with this group of players. You know, we've got players here who are playing every week and no issues necessarily, but they're, you know, part of a of a, a team that's on the up, you know, and previously we weren't even on the up. So we've got some stars in there and then we've got the players who aren't playing, you know, and, and it's, <clears throat> that's something I still kind of struggle with, um, just mentally flicking between all these types of conversations that you have and, Within one day, you know, I could be talking to an international player who's just come back off camp to someone who's wants to be better to somebody who can't even, you know, who's not even in the starting 11. And mentally, it's, it's, it's quite tough to have those three conversations with those three people, you know, because when you're laughing and joking with this player who's just come off camp, but then you're trying to talk to a player who's not in the starting 11. Yeah, I struggle with that and, and I do my best. And again, it's just trying to build rapport and letting them understand that, you know, just because you've seen me laughing and joking with one of the players, it doesn't mean I don't care for you and I don't want the best for you as well. You know, and I don't want you to try and get into that first 11. No, 100%. And I think it can be a challenge, obviously, you know, when loyalties come into it and, and players are thinking, well, you know, whose side is he on? And yeah, you want them to trust you in every capacity, I guess. Um, you know, it's kind of on 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 that. You know, that's one of the challenges. Um, what would you say one of the biggest frustrations is? You know, if you had like, any bugbears, you know, throughout your journey that you've come across, and you think you, every time you see it, it just kind of makes you think like, you know, I can't believe it. I can't believe this is still happening, or I can't believe I've just seen that. Um, you know what? I think one of my biggest bugbears is like. Wherever I've been, and I think it will be for the, for the rest of time, how effort is not a given. Mm. And that's with coaches, with players, with anything like that. I cannot fathom for the life of me how effort just isn't a given. Just, just try as hard as you can all the time. Now, I understand, you know, I forgot who it was who said it, but, you know, like attitudes like a petrol tank and you know, it needs topping up. There's going to be times where it runs low and you need to top it up. I get that 100%. And you need that downtime where you need that time to recover mentally to make sure that you come back the next day just as uh, strong or just mm -hmm. as kind of 
you know, wanting. But we had, uh, you know, a player who's now on our coaching staff, Lauren Dykes, and I managed, I, I had the, the good fortune to coach her and now to work with her as a coach. Now, as a player, you know, I mean, she'll always openly say as well, especially when I got to coach her towards kind of the end of her career, she wasn't always kind of like, you know, she wasn't always the best trainer, but you knew full well you'd get everything you needed to get out of her. If you needed her to up a gear, she'd up a gear. Like you knew you were going to get everything out of her. And she's the same as a coach where if she's going to coach, you know full well that she's going to give you everything she's got. She will have planned the session. She will have, you know, given her all to everything that she's doing. And I, 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 if I can't, I can't fathom how we don't turn up to work as coaches or players and think, I'm just going to try as hard as I can. And I'm going to do the best I can in everything I've got, because you, we don't have that. You don't have that. And, it, and it's quite, that's my biggest frustration, I think. And that goes from 16s to 18s to 23s to first team to, you know, academy coaches to, to first team staff. It's kind of like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm just as bad for it sort of thing. You know, I, I turn up days where I don't try as hard as I can try. And even though it's like my bugbear, it's kind of like, I catch myself sometimes and think I've got, I've got to try, I've got to do better here. No, you make a great point there. I think, you know, it's one of them ones where I think we can't always be hundred percent, but I think if, if we can yeah. accept that firstly, then we're halfway there to understanding how to get, how to get better at, at what we do. Um, so recognize that sometimes we might need a doubt, you know, we might need an off day. We might need time to just kind of zone out a little bit and relax if you're like, um, you know, kind of, you know, just, just want to take it back to your journey a little bit then, you know, yeah. You've had 16 odd years now coaching, um, range of different roles. And I probably, probably, you know, when I probably say that to you, I think, wow, it's actually been a long time and you probably don't even want to think about how long it's actually been. <laughs> but um, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's been lots of positive experiences within that. But you know, if, if I gave you the opportunity now to go back to 17, 18, Marco Chiavetta, you know, starting out his coaching journey, not sure where it's going to go next. What would be a message that you'd want to give yourself back then, knowing what you know now? I'm not sure I can say it on the podcast. <laughs> um, I think for me to go back and to, to kind of look on that, it would um, 100% be um, to, I'm trying to think how to, how to word it, but to basically like just be open-minded and diplomatic, I suppose. You know, I, I feel like I went through a lot of the early part of my career. I lost you know, not lost jobs, but I lost opportunities and I potentially didn't get considered for things that I could have been considered for just because of the way I acted, you know, and, and the, 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 the Billy big brass. And it's like, oh, no, I know it, I know it. I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. I'm, you know, I was coaching at university. I was quite successful. We had great players. Well, I was at Loughborough university. We generally had the best players in the country as far as the university project goes, you know? So it was like, just because we were successful, I thought, well, I'm successful. That's me, you know. Um, so I'd definitely go back and just kind of say, look, be humble, work hard, continue, work as hard as you have, because, I, you know, I, I do think I worked hard. And I'd like to think there isn't, you know, there isn't many out there that would say I, I haven't, you know, I'm not, the, not a hard worker. Yeah. But it'd definitely be like just humble yourself and accept, what's, accept what people are trying to help you with. Yeah, you know, you've got two ears, one mouth, do more listening than you do talking. Exactly that. 
Um, you know, it's, it's interesting coming back to what you just said there a second ago about, you know, if the team's done well, then I've done well. Mm. Um, but funny, funny that, you know, with a lot of with a lot of situations where when the team does bad, the team's done bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what, you know, I've got, you know, just as we start to kind of wind down, you know, I'm really, really conscious that, you know, you, you're still quite young um, in what is a rel- you know, relatively long coaching journey already. So I'm, I'm you know, very interested to know where does Marco Chiavetta go next? Um, yeah, I, I want to lead a programme, um, 100% I want to lead a programme um, as, as a manager, uh, as a coach, as a manager. I think, you know, my personal opinion is, is that I'm, I'm 100% ready to, to lead a team or a programme, like I said, you know, whether that be, you know, a university programme, whether it be a WSL first team, whether it's a, a, a women's championship first team, I am very, very much aware that I want to be held accountable for the things that I feel like I say to my friends and people that know me. I'm very, very confident in kind of saying, you know, this is what I do. This is how I do it. And this is, I think this will work. Like, I really, really believe in what I want to do. And I want to be held accountable for that. I want someone to point at me and go, you said this would work and it hasn't worked. And then for me to go, yeah, you're right. It hasn't worked. How, How do I? How do I make it work? Yeah. Or the other way to go for me to look in the mirror and go, actually, you know what? It was right. And you'd, uh, the guy that, that I live with, you know, the, someone who lives in my house, like he's, he's very astute when it comes to football and education. And I've learned some stuff in the last couple of months of, of how I'd manage a team and very player led and little sprinkles of me and stuff like that. But yeah, leading a program, being a manager, what I want to be, I want to be a manager for sure. And you know, I'd like to think I'm still quite young and I'd love to be the person at 60, 70 years old still doing this at the at the top level. Um, but I definitely think management is definitely my next step. Mm. No, no, just, just on that, you know, you, I guess it kind of leads me into my next question. And it's, it's a word that you use right at the top of the conversation, uh, this word legacy. Mm. Um, you know, just by having this conversation with me now, you know, you've made your pop, yourself part of the Coaches Network. Um, so I guess the question for you is, you know, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind for those that come into contact with you? I would like, you know, and, and I've thought about this before. Um, anybody who comes into contact with me, I want them to go, yeah, I took this away from that. I took a, a nugget away from that. And because I'm, I'm a teacher or anything like that, but I've learned a lot of my lessons through watching people make mistakes you know, and, and if I have a conversation with someone, I want them to be able to go, you know what, I've, for example, it might be a case of, I believe more in what I say because Marco's proven that what he's saying isn't what my beliefs are. Mm. So wh- whatever it is, be able to come away from an interaction with me and go, I took this away from that conversation. You know, I took this away from that conversation. And the thing is as well, it's, we talk about legacy and... I want to leave a legacy everywhere I go and everywhere I work, but I don't want anybody to remember my name. That'd be a really, really important thing for me where I really, really want to leave a legacy with everywhere I go without people knowing who it was who did it. Because I think it's imperative that a person doesn't necessarily make that legacy. It's the club or it's the players because they're the ones that actually do it, you know, and 
just for argument's sake, let's say I took over uh, a WSL team and we won the league and we won, you know, the, the FA Cup and we got into the Champions League and we did this, that and the other. I want people to go, that, that team of 2023, mm. that was a legacy. What they did, what they left was phenomenal. I'd more than happy, you know, have people go, oh, just look up who the manager was. I'm, I'm happy for that. But if people can go, that group of people did this, that's what I want to leave as a legacy or, you know, a structure within a club or anything like that. Awesome. I guess, you know, the final question I've got for you, you know, if you had 60 seconds now, then to wrap up her, I guess, a couple golden nuggets, if you like, for the listeners, what would those be? Um, Like I said, definitely kind of, you know, be humble in everything you do as a player, as a coach, as a manager, anything you, you, you any role you've got within football, be humble and listen to everything around you. Um, you know, I'm going to use the term that you had. Don't ever be the smartest person in the room. You know, like that. Don't don't ever be an expert in everything. Make sure that people around you are, are kind of important and doing their roles. And then the third one and the final one, which is actually really really important to me. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've been through stages where I've suffered a lot from anxiety. Make everybody feel worthwhile. Make everybody feel worthwhile. You know, and people talk about the cliches of Alex Ferguson and stuff like that, knowing cleaners' names and things like that. Just make everybody feel worthwhile. Mm. I think that's a fantastic one to kind of finish up on. And, you know, it, it, I guess if we can help other people feel valued, we're probably more likely to get out and get more out of them as well. Exactly. You know, so I think it's a great point there. Um, Marco, you know, I just want to, you know, thank you again for your time this evening. It's been very, um, very interesting for me to, you know, learn a bit more about your journey. Um, but, you know, if there was any listeners or viewers out there that wanted to kind of find out a little bit more, maybe delve a bit deeper into some of the things that we've talked about, is there some way they can get in touch with you to do that? 100%. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll give you my Instagram, my Twitter, you know, I've, I've got an email that I can pass on and stuff. But anybody who wants to have any kind of interaction with me or any contact with me, the door, the door is always open. And that goes for, for anything as well, you know, whether it's football based, whether, you know, it's, it, you're suffering mentally within within the sports industry or anything like that my my inboxes are always open instagram and twitter will always kind of get get a response as, as much as possible definitely awesome and what are your handles for those so my oh you've asked me there so my my instagram handle is uh question of the night is it no it's, it's <laughs> one of them it's definitely something that I, I know i need to be better at technology that's that's for sure um but my um instagram like old, old age come out is it <laughs> it is so Cubetta 10 so mark my surname c-h-i-a-v-e-t-t-a and then the number 10 so if you if you input that in then you'll get my instagram and my twitter from that excellent well, look marco thank you again for your time this evening really I've absolutely loved it. it's been a pleasure man no i appreciate that a lot yes thank you and and you know you've made me feel really welcome thank you excellent there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.